Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. This is episode 915, my interview with Celeste Headley. Today, we're discussing efficiency and her book, Do Nothing. I hope you enjoy. G'day, how are you? Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. Lee Martinuzzi here. Man, I love this conversation with Celeste Headley. We talk about efficiency. We talk about productivity. We talk about her book, which is titled Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving. It's just such a cool conversation. And I got right into it, as you can probably tell. I was thinking it might have gone for around 20 to 30 minutes, but we spoke for up to the hour. And we talked really about the the culture behind um, our level of busyness these days. We seem to be racing forward every day, trying to do more, tackling more, being more, um, and the value, the benefits that we're getting from it perhaps aren't as great as we think they might be. Perhaps the payoff that we could get from doing less um, would be much more significant. And that's certainly the discussion that I have with Celeste in this episode today. Celeste um, is a great speaker. Um, She is a speaker. She's a professional speaker. She's an author. She's a journalist. She's got a podcast. She's got another book. uh, called We Need to Talk. She's got a lot going on, but she wrote this book to scratch her own itch, to slow herself down so she could start really living life more thoroughly. Um, So I love that. I love when books get written for that need to scratch one's own itch, and that's what this book uh, sounds like has happened. So guys, enjoy this interview with Celeste Headley. Let us know what you think. Reach out at hiddenwire.com, and the links to Celeste will be there as well. So thank you for coming on the show. Cheers. Hi, Celeste. Welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. Great to have you here. Great to be here. I've just realized my phone is not on mute, so I better put that on mute. Um, <laughs> and welcome from the other side of the world. It's great to have you here. Uh, doing a lot of things at the moment and just launched a book um, just about the time, as you were saying, that the COVID-19 started. So um, still doing well with the launch. Yeah. 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 Things are going pretty well, especially considering that the world shut down, you know, not doing a lot of book signings in light of coronavirus. Yeah, for sure. Can you do some digital signings? Does that happen or um, digital? Yeah, I've been doing vig- digital book readings and yeah. virtual talks, things like that. Yeah, cool. Okay. Look, we've got a um, topic of the day is efficiency, which is a topic that certainly I love. And your book is Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing and Underliving. Um, which I think is is pretty important, and I, I sort of feel it's it's timely in a way too with the, this this whole pandemic at the moment, because um, it sort of forced me to slow down a little bit. I'm quite go 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 and hard to sit still sort of person, and um, I think you know as I see the world right now, we're all just racing ahead and wanting more and doing more, and in the efforts, um, I don't think we're actually getting more value out of our lives potentially. But that's just maybe a negative perspective. What are your thoughts? Yeah, actually, the data and evidence absolutely agrees with you. Um, It feels like if you work harder, you get more done, right? That would make sense. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But when you actually examine it, those who work really excessive hours, which is defined as more than 50 hours a week, are the least productive among the groups that they study. Um, one of the study, and this, is, this isn't necessarily connected to technology. We like to blame technology and say it's distracting us or, you know, whatever it may be. And that's true. But um, even going back to the 1950s, they did a study of a huge group of scientists and, and followed them for a long period of time and found the least productive were those who were putting in more than 50 hours a week. The most productive of them were those who were working 12 to 20 hours a week. 12 to 20 hours a week? Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> How many Actually, hours do you work a week? Yeah, it makes sense when you examine the way the brain works. I mean, the brain just d- d- stops working well when you push it beyond its capacity. Yeah. It's just, yeah. So when you start working in line with your brain, then you'll actually get more done and there'll be higher quality work. I like it. And so you're a journalist and an author. Is that right? Yep. And, and yep, how many hours right. do you work? Now <laughs> or before I started this book? <laughs> I mean, I was like you are. Um, I was, you know, a, a constantly working, completely overscheduled. I had trouble saying no to really good opportunities. Um, I just didn't have a lot of free time. Um, 
And now that I've written this book and done this research, I've, I've consciously and very intentionally. So this, this book has actually forced you to change your ways too, huh? Yeah, That's so cool. it was. And it, yeah. Is that you because know, you wrote to- this book? Is that why you wrote this book? That is exactly why I wrote the book. You know, I got to the point in my life where I was so completely scheduled, yeah. um, sometimes double booked on accident, you know, where I was not getting enough sleep regularly. I, I couldn't do stuff with my friends because I was busy. People would ask me how I was and I'd say, busy. <laughs> and I just, I was trying to search for solutions for myself and that's where the book came from. That's so cool. That's going to be a good book, isn't it? I love yeah, when a book comes, so. comes from those places. Yeah, no, it is. It's usually what makes really good books. Um, so I'm looking forward. I haven't read it yet. I'll be upfront about that, but I do look forward to reading it. Um, so, so what is it all about do nothing? Because like, that really sounds like, you know, should we just be doing nothing or should we just be doing of, you know, like um, what's that, Miyamoto um, Mats, Matsumoto or what's, it, yeah, what's his exactly. name, Miyamoto? And he's, he's got a, a quote that says do nothing of no use, which is – right. Which I totally agree with. But here's my question for you. At this point in in your life, do you think you could sit down for 30 to 60 minutes and do nothing? Like Hmm. just sit on your front steps of your front porch without feeling guilty, without starting to feel anxious that you should be getting up to do something? Do you think you could? No. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I was just talking to a mate about this because with this pandemic coming out, it seems to have slowed me down a little bit. But at the same time, I've got a bit of a routine, right? In the evenings, I I try to get home, um, have dinner with the family, uh, and then I jump into a hot bath and read a book for half an hour. And then I get out and I pour a cup of tea and I watch my favorite episodes, half an hour, an hour, whatever it is at the time. But at the same time, I'm on my phone doing things on the phone. Um, And it's just like I'm doing, you know, and everyone does it. I watch my wife, I talk to my mates, they're doing it. And I'm just like, yeah, we just need to put things away and, you know, why can't I just have that? And even like watching TV, I guess you're still doing something, but sitting there for half an hour, God, no, geez, that would, I'd struggle. Yeah. And this is the exact same question I had is why can't I do this? Why can't, why can do, do I feel now? guilty? I can now. Okay. Yep. And why, I did. what, what I were your sort of answers? Like, why do you, yeah, I guess there's lots of answers that probably have come out. Look. There are, you know, what's interesting is I totally expected to find out that technology was the bad guy. I I assumed Hmm. that it was going to be my smartphone or my tablet that had gotten me addicted to dopamine and um, made me distractible. Um, I mean, we know all these things, but it turned out as I started to, you know, one of the first things that I did, the very first things I did was dump my my technology for almost a month. Mm. Um, I got one of those dumb phones, the ones that don't connect to the internet. <laughs> um, I, I, I put away my tablet. I used my computer for work and then stepped away. I, I was a complete Neo Luddite and it didn't fix it. What, it made it a what, little bit better. Yeah. So what, I mean, good. when you get, cause I, I had a mate who just said that he might get it. I like the dumb phone. Interesting way. Um, so he said, you know, he might get one of those phones so he can just have that around home. So if he needs to make a call, he can, but otherwise it's non-usable. Um, yeah. but did you find, like, what was the, how did you find that? I mean, month. I mean, I, I still couldn't sit for 30 or 60 minutes and, and just do, I couldn't even, I can't even watch a movie without feeling like I should be doing something at the same time. So what were you doing? Like when, when you were sitting there to watch a movie or sitting like, well, I would I would get up and you know I'd go to the stack of books that I'm spo- I have that seems to grow ever bigger that I'm supposed to be reading. I would like um, go in and try to fix up my my kitchen. I would I would find things to do, to do hmm. constantly at all times, and so that's when I sort of sort of sort of peeling back the layers of the onion to figure out okay what's what's really going on, and through that, that's when I realized. The, you know, the roots of this are two to 300 years old and it's not me, it's us. Right. <laughs> it's, we all have this. And that's sort of what led me to the book was, was finding out that this mother, my research into this that was meant to help me could actually help more people. Some more than others. Do you think like you mean, you sound like a person that can't sit still and I certainly feel the same. Um, but then I look at others and I, I see them uh, my wife's a good example. I feel that she could sit there uh, without being too restless for longer periods, and her family is a bit more like that compared to my family. 
that may be the case, but we're, I mean, there's there's certain countries where it's really bad. Um, the worst are the U.S., Canada, um, mm. the U.K., Australia, and New Zealand. Really? <laughs> they, yeah, they are the worst uh, countries when it turns to the the ill effects of an, this addiction to to productivity. Um, and so, you know, it's, but it's a cultural thing, like some more than others. Yeah. Some people are able to relax and enjoy their idleness more than others, mm. but this cultural pressure and this sort of philosophy that your worth, your life's worth is based on how hard you're working. That's on all of us. We all feel that to some extent, because that is where we have come. That's where we are culturally. Mm. So what are the countries that are doing it quite well? Um, that's hard to say. We don't have the same quality of data from all the countries, mm. you know, as we do from some of the more, um, industrialized and developed, um, nations. Um, but there are places like Denmark where they take all their vacation time and they have a culture of, of leisure and they have a culture of idleness and there's no guilt about that, where there's a recognition that your body and your brain need leisure and separation from work. There are there are countries that where they're trying things that are actually working. In places in France and some countries in Germany, um, companies are shutting down their email systems completely at closing time. So if you're a customer and you email one of their employees, you'll get a message saying, "Hey, we're closed down for the night, and we'll see you in the morning." Um, it's nice, isn't so it? there, yeah, there's all kinds of different efforts going around the world. There is a recognition that this is a problem. I mean, because we're seeing record levels of a few things. Number one, record levels of burnout. The WHO just last year recognized burnout as an actual So um, what are the levels? Issue. Like, how do, you, how do you put that in the stat? Burnout? Yeah. Burnout is a, is a chronic condition, and there's symptoms of it, like cynicism and fatigue um, that you can identify. But again, it's chronic. It doesn't mean that you've had a bad week. It means that you've had weeks of feeling fatigued and irritable and cynical and the whole list of symptoms that go are associated with burnout. Okay. But we also have um, record levels of of loneliness. We have record levels of social isolation. And this was before the pandemic. Yeah. Here in the U.S., we've seen the um, life expectancy drop for three years in a row. And when they asked the doctor why are – he was the lead author of the latest report. They asked him why people are dying younger. He said, despair. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And there, there yeah. seems to be – it doesn't seem to slow down. Like I had a really good chat with a guy um, a while back on the podcast and, you know, his feeling was that at this day and age we should be working less. We should be doing 20, yeah. 30 hours a week because we've got technology. We've got all this progression around us that we're not using and yet here we are working longer and harder and stressing ourselves and being more depressed about it all, which that didn't <laughs> doesn't make any sense, does it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. People sort of laugh at the economist Keynes because he predicted we would be working, you know, four-hour days or maybe working, uh, you know, a couple days a week. Mm. Um, but there was nothing wrong with his math. He took – what he took was the, the global need and, and our productivity, and he assumed rises in both need and, and productivity. And he said, well, we're going to be able to produce everything that we need in a much shorter amount of time. And that makes – perfect sense. But what ended up happening was we did become more productive. We could supply all of our needs in, in like a, a couple days a week of work. In fact, one sociologist said we could choose to work one year and then take the entire next year off. Hmm. That could be a choice we make. It's not the choice we've made. And instead of taking our, our gains in profit and productivity with time off, we've taken them with increased profits. And almost all of those profits have gone to the top, top echelon of um, corporate structures. Mm. So while, um, while wages have stagnated for those who are below that top echelon, um, the profits, the, the income for those at the very top have gone up because we're still working 40 hours a week when we can get our jobs done in 12 to 20. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard one to tackle, but because, I mean, and I know because I've, I've done it before where I, 
um, by accident had a few days off. I'm a real estate agent and this is my career at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I had a few, this was a few years ago, um, I had a bit of a hiatus in between, but I, um, this, this one week, I was doing six days a week, you know, probably 70 hours a week. Yeah. And I had a one week where I had to go away for, not had to go away, I chose to go to the conference. And that was a two-day conference. And I came back and I thought, geez, how am I going to get everything done now in four days? And I got it done comfortably. Um, <laughs> and it was just like, wow. Do you know wow. Parkinson's Law? Huh. Yeah, well, that's, that's when I really started. Yeah, that's when I really started. Um, what's Parkinson's Law? Parkinson's Law says the amount of work expands or contracts to fit the amount of time available right. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pretty much what happened. And, then, <laughs> and then I looked at my work week using the Pareto Principle and sort of just um, looked at everything I had on my plate every week and goes, you know, what is actually the one th- you know, the things that are necessary to get me the results and the things that don't really matter? And they're the things that I precisely didn't do in that particular week. So uh, ongoing, I just changed the way I did things and I had a bit more time. But soon enough, I got busy again, you know. We always seem to be able to find more things to do. Yeah, but if you think about it, imagine your bookkeeper in 1970, hmm. right, and how much time it takes him to get the books done for all of his clients. Okay. So maybe he's working 40, 45 hours a week. Now imagine that same exact bookkeeper, um, with mostly the same workload, um, today and he can get that job done in way less 15 to 20 hours a week. So why is, why is he still working 40 hours? Hmm. Right. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Is it because our living standards, we expect, I mean, I know people expect things instant, you know, these days we want everything now or yesterday. And in real estate, you know, I've, I like the idea of saying, you know, if someone texts me at 7 o'clock at night, um, having an automated message there saying, look, you know, I, I'm out between these hours. But the yeah. culture doesn't respect that. So it actually puts a, a tarnish on your reputation in this industry particularly. Um, it can, although when they've tested that, people have been pretty um, tolerant of of regular hours hmm. um, um, because we're used to waiting for certain things, right? Um, so, you know, if it takes us a while to to get a, 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 an order an item from the other side of the world, most people are like, okay. If it's coming from Amazon, they don't even note that it's from the other side of the world, so they might get impatient. But we're we're actually fairly tolerant when we when people explain what's happening. Mm, okay. Um, and when they have different expectations, when we promise them immediate response, then they expect immediate response. When we email them at nine o'clock at night, one week, and then the next week we say, nope, I'm not emailing you nine o'clock at night now. That's when there becomes to be irritation. Gotcha. But I'll, I'll give you an example. Mm, I, um, so I am a public speaker. I do speeches all over the world, right? Mm-hmm. And people from all parts of the world call me and they're usually, they, it's, for them, it feels quite urgent. Um, so I started putting, I started taking a day for myself when I don't check email. And on my email, I said, hey, I take a day off of email every week. If it's really important, just call me. And I'm telling you, in over two years' time, no one has ever called me. Hmm. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning it wasn't that urgent. Hmm. It's interesting. And I, I totally get that expectation too. So you said your own expectations basically. Yeah, exactly. And if you warn people and explain them, you know, if you order, let's say you order something from someone on Etsy and you know, this is someone, you know, making the product probably themselves and they send you a message saying, Hey, it's me and my husband in a family business. This is going to, it's a long turnaround time. So it's probably going to be there by whatever, June one. You're as long as you have the information and your expectation is not that it's going to come in a couple days. Most people are very tolerant. Yeah. Yeah. What about, I mean, this idea that we could work, you know, a couple of days a week and still get the same results, is it because, is the reason why we don't do that because we want more things, like we want a bigger house, we want the third ensuite in the house and all that sort of stuff? That's part of it. Um, that, you know, Keynes, when he was doing his his arithmetic, he didn't think people would continue buying stuff even when they had everything they needed. <laughs> so there's that. Um, but it's also because... It's a bad there was obsession, a, isn't it? It's terrible, really, when you think it about is. it. 
It is. The other thing is that wages have been de- kept depressed by our employers because if you look back through the annals of labor, and I had to read all these histories of labor going back to the yeah, ancient well, Greeks. Sounds yeah. exciting. <laughs> not, not exciting. Um, but it turns out that when people have enough for themselves, they actually take time off. Right. So employers, in order to keep their factory workers on the line working all day long, they where there's actually records of some of them stealing time. Some employers of of in factories would change the clocks to you know trick their workers into working longer hours. Mm. Uh, but the other thing they've done is they just number one they keep wages low. They make they disincentivize people taking half time. So think about this. At least in the U.S., um, if you go from full time to part time, you don't lose half your wages. You lose everything. You lose your retirement, you lose your sick days, you lose vacation time, you lose every single benefit and all you get is an hourly wage now. Hmm. Part of that is to try to keep prevent people from going to part-time. They're trying to keep people working full-time. Another thing that, that happened was they started pitting people, employees against each other in competition. And we have the actual literal tangible evidence of this um, because we have the posters that a lot of employers had printed saying, if you take time off, your coworker isn't going to, and you'll fall behind, right? It was this campaign of brainwashing to sort of pit us against each other. And you see it so often. That's terrible part of the culture. uh, I worked in retail for many years and and you saw people just hanging around because it was like, hey, if you're hanging around and being here and working or considered working, which I always wondered what they were doing, um, you know, it's just that cultural expectation. I'm a hard worker because yeah. I do 70 hours a week here. Yeah, but it's worked. Yeah. <laughs> it's worked brilliantly. We all fell for it <laughs> and have fallen for it. So they're keeping wages low then. Years. Keeping wages low. Um, so that means that we can't just say, well, look, I've made my money for the week. I'm happy with that. I'm going to take the rest of the week off. But instead, yep. we have to work the whole week because we need to make the same sort of money. Um, yeah. But isn't it a vicious cycle then? Because isn't that just meaning that, okay, well, these companies are making more profits. But, I mean, has that have you, have you seen that shape over the research of 100 and 200 years where companies just are making increasingly larger profits? Or is it because yeah. of our consumerism society and culture as well that we expect things to be cheaper and cheaper too? Because... I mean, you can go to some of these big, giant, you know, hardware stores, for example, and I'm just baffled by the the prices. Sometimes they just seem really cheap for what the product is, and you go, "How can that even be reality?" Well, both of those things are true. So, CEO pay the the, the average wage for a CEO has gone up um, somewhere between nine hundred and a thousand percent. Really, in recent years, yeah. That is not how much our wages have grown. So that's where part of the profits. What have have our wages done? Well, I don't know what they are in New Zealand. I I can only tell you that in the U.S. they. Yeah, I yeah I have no idea what you guys are doing, but I can I have seen the comparisons. The U.S. is is among the worst. It has some of the worst income inequality, but you know there's income inequality all over the world, and this is partly why. the other thing is exactly as you're saying. Okay, so let's take an example. Let's say that your product is wagon wheels, right? So for most of human history, for 300,000 years and change, humans were task-based. So if your wagon wheel broke, you went to the guy who makes wagon wheels, he made you one, you paid him for that wheel, not for how much time it took him, and then you went on your way. And when it broke again, you'd go buy another one. Yeah. But when the factory system came in, your task was never done. You just kept making wagon wheels. And time became currency. It was your time that was valuable, not your skill as a wagon wheel maker. Right. They just needed a body on the, on the factory line. And, and so as far as the employees were concerned, they could increase their profits simply by building more and more and more wheels. The problem was that eventually everybody had all the wheels they really needed. 
So then they thought, well, what if I cut the cost of, they could have given everyone time off at that point, right? Mm. They're like, mm. hey, <laughs> we can make a, a reasonable profit in two days time. Everyone take the rest of the week off. No, they were like, wait, let's just keep the workers on the line the whole time, continue making the same number of wheels or more, and we'll cut the cost so we can sell more. Yes. And so that's kind of where we are now. That's why things are cheaper. That's why luxury goods even are cheaper. It's why most people have an, an iPhone. Yeah. Um, but it's also why we're in this problem globally, because we simply are going through our resources quickly just to, to satisfy stockholders' thirst for profit growth. Mm. Yeah. That's well, uh, yeah. a little bit depressing in itself, isn't it? <laughs> what... Um... <laughs> What can, we, what, can, what can be done about this? See, and here's the thing. The, here's the best part of it. Although it does feel like this is the way it is and this is the way it's always been, yeah. it really hasn't. Hmm. That's what my history lesson told me was that this is fairly recent in our, our species history. Mark, what are we talking? Yeah, we're talking about the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, right. so two, 250 years ago, yeah. which, again, really is not that long. no. And it means we can change back to the way that we were before. Will it require a sort of global shift in thinking? Yeah, it will. Um, will it happen all at once? Of course not. But bit by bit, as each one of us takes agency and says, you know what, this is dumb and toxic, and not only do I not want this for myself, but I don't want it for my kids, we can start putting in really simple um, practices in our lives that that go against the flow and we can begin to change things don't you think like and i love this idea but don't you think that the the, the superpowers these big companies corporations have too much control of that like they have too much control of our ability to to do that like yes some individuals might be able to go out and you know create their own wagon wheel and and you know do their little piece to to make a living in a nice family life but for the majority of people, they rely on these companies because they have no other way of figuring out how to make that same sort of dollar or income or lifestyle. I mean, I, I guess there's a part of me that that believes that it's going to be a really hard fight. But there's another part, especially after this long research into history, that says, you know what, this has happened a bunch of times before. It took incredible uh, force and and sacrifice. People died in order to get us an eight-hour workday, for example. Hmm. Um, corporations and very rich people, people whose names we still know, like Vanderbilt and Rockefeller, um, put up an incredible fight against the eight-hour workday, and yet we won. It's happened before. Nobody thought the United States would be able to beat Great Britain, for God's sake. I mean, you've seen over and over and over where an absolutely irresistible force was overcome eventually by an immovable object. We just mm. need to become that immovable, either the immovable object or the irresistible force. Mm. Yeah. So what what can the individual do, I suppose, um, in line with do nothing, to start getting the benefits of uh, of doing nothing? We probably haven't even explained the benefits of um, you know doing less. I guess it's in your subtitle. And breaking away from overworking so you can start living life a little bit better. Yeah, and I, I think most many people aren't really aware of a kind of um, – I think everyone's kind of plugged into the matrix, mm. and I just want to kind of unplug everybody so they can sort of look up, look around and see what's going on. Is that sort of the um, goal of the book then? Yes. It's just to and sort just, of awaken us to, hey, actually have a look at this. And I think – do you think that this pandemic has, has assisted with that as well? I, I think so. I mean, obviously, I don't want to downplay um, how the seriousness of the disease and sure. the, the suffering people have gone through. Mm. But if there is a tiny silver lining, I hope that it's that people are starting to ask themselves, what, who am I when I'm not working? What does my life work at look like when I'm not working? Hmm. Is there a moment in my life that is completely disconnected from work? Because I think a lot of people are realizing that there isn't. And the book has plenty of solutions, science-backed, evidence-based solutions on how to break away from this. Um, 
But the most important thing first is to make that realization that we have not just centered our work lives around work, <laughs> hmm. but we've centered our lives, period, around work. Do you think there's like an integration there that needs to happen or is happening that is actually going to get us that lifestyle where we can actually, you know, enjoy the important things more, but we're still sort of combining the two? Oh, absolutely. You don't, I mean, you don't have to stop working, Hmm. you know, and people, one of the responses I always get is, but I love to work. Me too. Hmm. I love what I do, but you're better at what you do when you take time off. Hmm. And it's, and it's not just, um, how well you become as a creative problem solver, how much happier you are, the way your stress levels go down, your cortisol levels, you're less likely to get heart disease. You're less likely to get by diabetes. The list goes on. But it's also that people who take all of their vacation time, for example, are more likely to get promoted. They're more likely to get a raise in pay. People who work excessive hours, which is more than 50 hours a week, only see maybe a 6% rise in their salaries and income. So it's just not worth the what you're putting into it. And in fact, the benefits of taking time off um, and not answering those emails at seven, eight, and nine o'clock at night, there it's hard hard to even describe how much it can change your life. What are some of the associated benefits from the research you've done that you've found? The benefits, well, a you're better at your work, yeah. the work that you do, which is great. Um, you're yeah, your your brain is when your brain gets rest, when it's allowed to to um, alternate between leisure and work and leisure and work, which is the way our brains are designed to do. You're less prone to errors. You're more creative. You're less susceptible to bias. Um, you are more compassionate of a person, um, and also just in terms of being able to invest in things at home. Again, your health will get better. We, we find all kinds of health benefits from making time for just hanging out with friends, for example. I mean, when was the last gym just time you just said, hey, let's just hang out? Not let's go see a movie, not let's go do this activity, but, you know, I got some free time. You want to come over and just hang out? Yeah. I mean, that rarely happens. No. Nah. And yet, hmm. <laughs> and yet, they did this longitudinal study of a, a large group of men in the UK, and they found that based on how many significant social contacts these men had, they could predict who would still be alive in 10 years' time with a fair degree of accuracy. So I'm, I'm trying to put myself in this picture now and my working life, and, and I guess a lot of people out there listening might be doing the same. Well, how can I actually stop doing so much and, and actually do less and, you know, focus on other things. I mean, is there, is there a formula for that or is it really case by case? I shouldn't say. No, case there is but. a, there is a formula, um, how that, the, the details of it will probably be unique to you, yeah. but I lay out the formula in the book. So here's the very first thing you have to do. Hmm. Um, because most of us have very low time perception, meaning that we're not all that accurate in knowing how we spend our time. For example, we're actually working fewer hours now than our parents and grandparents did. Fewer. Yeah. And I know it doesn't feel like that. (laughs) But part of that is because we're not entirely sure where our time is going. The truth is you have more free time than you think. So the first thing you have to do is grab a notebook and for a few weeks, two or three weeks, Good activity. keep track mm. of your time. Yeah. Yeah. So just we're working less um, than our, our parents or grandparents. Is that because of the advancements that we've got available? Because I sort of look at it too and go, well, on one hand, you know, usually it's both partners in the relationship that have to work, not just one. But then I look at it and go, well, hang on, the, the, the female usually, you know, who stood, stayed at home still had a, a fair chunk of work, which has now <laughs> been made more efficient due to washing machines and whatnot, you know, bread makers. Mac- <laughs> microwaves and, microwaves, yeah. yes, exactly, and dishwashers. So yeah. Regardless, there's a lot less intensity both at home and in work for a for oh, family. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. And, and our, our work takes us less time, yeah. but that doesn't mean people, people do honestly feel overwhelmed. That's mm. true. 
Nobody's faking it. Hmm. So you have to kind of understand where your time's going first. And then you have to distinct say to yourself, okay, here's what my general day looks like. Like this is the time I wake up. This is how much time it takes me to get ready and eat breakfast. This is when I go to work. This is when I eat lunch. Map out your schedule. Yeah. And see where your free time is. Where where are the hours when I get to choose what I want to do? Yeah. And then choose what you want to do. Yeah. If you're spending two and a half hours on social media and you only have five or six hours free a day, is that two and a half hours reasonable? Or do you want to cut it back? Yeah. And I guess this this could be an excuse, but uh, and it's not related to my situation, but for most people out there, they have to clock on at eight o'clock and clock off at five o'clock. So do they just need to look at what they're doing outside those hours because those hours are set in stone if they want to earn the same sort of income? Um, The first thing I'd say is uh, buy a copy of the book and give it to your manager. (laughs) (laughs) If that's how you're working, then your manager has a 19th century attitude and a 21st century world. That's the first thing I'd say. But yeah, if you're in that situation and you have no flexibility whatsoever in your work hours, that's fine. You can start with those hours over which you have agency. Yeah. 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 Do you find any particular companies out there now through your research that do this quite well? Because I think for the companies that I worked and I was in retail management, that you look at the productivity of the, the people and yes, they're at work, but the, what they were doing is like, well, we could do this all. Everyone could do what they did every day in two hours rather than the eight hours. But yeah. it would never happen. I mean, it'd never fly as, as raising hay. Although hay's. I kind of feel like, don't you think that people are realizing that right now? Um, I know that there's, there's a, a certain percentage of the populace who are busier while working from home than they were in the office. I've absolutely heard that. But I also think people are beginning to realize how little time it takes to get the core of their job done. Hmm. But I see it as companies going, hang on, I can see that that individual can do this job in less time. So rather than having three people there, I'm going to get this one guy to do more and I'll cut those two people off the books so we can make more profits. And I saw that happen in, in companies. Yeah, except that's our that's what they do already. Hmm. That's already happened. We have most of us are working right now what's called super jobs, which means that over the recessions and we've had a huge number of recessions in the past 20 to 30 years. Like if you examine global economics, we've had an unusual number of recessions. Yeah. So every single time there's a recession, companies uh cut lay people off. And then they say to the rest of the workers, okay, you're going to have to pick up the duties from Smith over here. (laughs) And so you do. Why? Because you're afraid you're also going to get laid off if you don't. But then it never goes back, right? When the recession's over, do they rehire Smith and then take those duties away from you? No. (laughs) So it's companies have been always doing that. Hmm. Always. There's not too much we can do to do to uh, to um, stop them from doing that, except that they still need workers. So, and there are companies that are being quite good about this. Yeah. Um, Basecamp is one of those that gives four four day work weeks. There are plenty of companies that do four day work weeks. Some of those companies that are really sort of um, ex- venturing out in this particular field and really experimenting are in Australia. They have incredible success hmm. with four day work weeks or even three day work weeks. Um, there's a hospital in. Uh, Sweden, Salgrenska Hospital, I tell the story in the book, that experimented with having shifts for their surgeons and nurses for an entire orthopedic unit of no more than six hours a day. And what they found was that even though they were prepared to hire more people, they realized that people became so much more productive with the shorter hours that they didn't need any, their productivity went up. Yeah. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. It's great. Do you find there's, there's situations where an individual might look at their day, you know, maybe highly organized individuals, and actually go, well, look, I'm actually using a lot of the time every day, um, you know, quite productively on things that matter. And, um, you know, to cut things out would probably mean I'm, I'm cutting my um, potential business or profits out. Um, I was one of those people who thought that. Mm. 
Uh, um, I say yeah. that because I think that in my, my, my day. <laughs> yes, I thought the same thing. And I'll have to check back in with you after you've read it because I sort of walk you through my own personal right. journey of realizing <laughs> how wrong I was. But I thought that myself. Yeah. But frankly, I haven't lost any business at all. In fact, my business has grown except for the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. That's... Um, yeah, that, which is exceptional. But up until then, my business was growing exponentially. And that's with me taking more and more and more time off. Because you always so, hear this, you know, we can, and this is something that I sort of go by that we can always outwork our competition in whatever industry yeah. we're in. Um, and regardless of who you are or your background, hard work seems to pay off. And I, I really believe that because I've seen it happen. But. Is that true? I mm. know. Uh, I don't think it is. No. Um, there's plenty of people working really, really hard that are not getting ahead. <laughs> and there's but is that hard work people. because they're, they're working hard for a company, whereas I'm sort of not. I'm working for myself. I, I mean, I, I don't think it really matters. There's plenty yeah. of people who are working hard as um, it's entrepreneurs, <laughs> self-employed, and are working their butts off. So I guess you've got to look for the yeah, the people that are – quite successful in their field, but working on a more casual basis. Yeah, there's plenty of them. Hmm. There's lots of them. And that's something I guess so, you could you could probably do if, if you're out there and you've got a particular career or a job, go out there and find what those guys are doing once you assess your own, you know, day and weekly sort of schedule. Yeah, I mean, come on. We, we, we like to pretend, I mean, actors, famous film stars like to pretend they work super, super hard. Mm. But come on. <laughs> they, they put in a very limited number of hours and the amount of compensation they get in return is astronomical. Hard work is not necessarily connected to increased income. And, and not and again, everyone has that ability to, you know, no, work but smartly. Again, but again... That is just telling you all the ways in which the amount of hard work that you do doesn't guarantee you any kind of success. Yes, you might be successful, hmm. but you could also be successful working less. I am. Yeah. It, they're not connected. I honestly believe this was part of also part of the, the line that we were sold in order to convince us to work hard. So go back to what I was telling you about the eight-hour workday. I mean, People literally died yeah. to give us that. And now we give it up voluntarily. We choose to work and answer emails and do all that stuff on the weekends and the evenings. We do that because we think it's going to help us get ahead. And the statistics say it won't. Hmm. It's still pure chance. Yeah. But we have been brainwashed into believing that hard work makes you successful. And it's just, it doesn't work like that. Hmm. So once we review our schedule and, and start going, okay, we've got you know these moments where we could be you know doing other things or having more free time, etc. Mm -hmm. um, it's just about then choosing to to schedule that. Like, what's the what's the steps or the formula from there? Well, there's a there's a bunch of different steps. I can tell you one of them, for example, and and one of them that's going to reap you immediate results is to stop mul trying to multitask. Hmm. So if you start getting into the habit of doing I thought females are good at multitasking. No. Okay, so human beings are bad at multitasking. Females in general are slightly less horrible at it than men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the truth of that. <laughs> I, 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 I know that I am terrible at that, and it probably frustrates people because um, people come in and talk to me, and, and I, I think it's just expected that people can multitask. And I'm just, I just tune out and I'm saying, dude, it's like when I'm doing something, you know, I'm not going to be paying attention to you. And I, yeah. I almost seems a bit rude from me, but I, I just learned that, hey, if I'm focusing on something, I have to tune everything else out. Oh, and you've got the right, you've absolutely got the right solution. But what people don't realize is to the brain, if you're looking at your computer screen and you have 50 tabs open, your brain interprets that as multitasking. Yeah. Because even if it's not present on your computer, your brain is still thinking about your open email inbox. If your smartphone is present and visible to you, your brain spends energy thinking about it. It spends so much energy mm. thinking about it that if you keep your email inbox open all the time, your IQ falls by 10 to 12 points. Yeah. That's how much energy your brain expends on thinking about that open email inbox. So that multitasking, get rid of it. If you're doing a task, do that task and nothing else. 
That's right. So, and, and you need to take a break every hour. Yeah. Like you need to get up and walk away from screens. Don't take a break and go into another room and page through Instagram or your phone or whatever. Yeah. Because as far as your brain is concerned, if you're looking at that phone, you're still working. Hmm. So you need to take a break. You need to let your mind relax and then come back to it. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you share a lot of these ideas and, and tools, I suppose, in the book to help people yep. really. That's all second half. Give themselves more time back. Um, can I go into, I know I've taken up a lot more of your time than I promised when we started, but I told you <laughs> I like this conversation. So can I ask you what sort of routine you live by in a day? Like are you, uh, you sound like a person of routine, but maybe I'm incorrect in that. No, you're correct. And I actually put, I printed my um, schedules in the book. Um, So since I travel a lot, my weekends don't really mean anything to me. They don't have a lot of meaning. So I I split my schedule into here's what my at-home days look like and here's what my travel days look like. And yeah, so I mean, I get up in the morning, I do yoga, I um, take my I drink 20 ounces of water. <laughs> I take my dog for a 45-minute walk. I do my workouts. My workout always has to be in the morning. And then I get started with my day. I meditate twice a day. I take my dog for two or three walks a day. I mean, I, I absolutely have a routine. Yeah. But like those walks with my dog, I have time for those now. I didn't before. Yeah. How did you feel? Like, did you... Because I, I sort of feel guilty and I'm, I'm sort of being a bit more lenient on myself recently because I've, I've noticed this coming in and I'm thinking, well, you know what? Why can't I enjoy still having a morning routine but without being so overwhelmed by it? You know what I mean? Like I was just like getting yeah. up and doing this and running here and doing that and just seemed go, go, go rather than just going for a swim and sitting in the water for a moment and enjoying that moment, you know? Wouldn't that be great? Getting straight out and running to the shower and getting dressed and running home and, you know, doing the next thing and the next thing. Okay, so that's going to come for you. I, You are going to do that. You are going to spend your time in the, in the pool or the beach or wherever it is because let me tell you, having been both – that person who who got up and immediately sort of shot out of bed and got on with her task list and now being the person that gets up and makes a leisurely cup of coffee and, you know, I'll, I'll sometimes I'll just sit down and read a novel in the morning on my porch, mm. right? Like unheard of to myself in previous years. Yeah, yeah. But A, I've gotten two books written in less than three years' time. I host two podcasts. I fill on, on NPR National Public Radio shows. I write a ridiculous number of blogs. I do speaking engagements all over the world. Like, nobody would call me unproductive. Yeah. But I have reclaimed my time in a way that works really well with my body and my brain. Instead of pushing my brain, I'm giving it an environment in, what it, in which it works at its best capacity. So and when it, you're working well, on those works. creative tasks, because that is a lot of power in itself, and from doing this podcast, I understand that, and certainly coming back into real estate, my ability to spend my creative time on my writing has reduced dramatically. Where I'm, you know, I used to publish a blog every week, which I haven't been doing uh, for the last few months. It's sort of been a bit scattered. How do you like? What does your time look like in that sense? Like, how do you get the blogs done, the podcasts done in a day? Is it just because you focus on it and you spend two hours on it and they get more done in that two hours than before or? Yeah, it's interesting. Last year I took a two week train trip around the entire United States. Um, and when you're on a train, the trains sometimes go through parts of the U S that are very remote. There is no Wi-Fi. <laughs> there's no cell signal. And I was incredibly productive and I, I describe in there how long it took me to write a piece when I was working on my computer at home versus how long it took me when I was on the train. So it would take me two and a half to three and a half hours to write a piece at my house. Mm. It took me maybe 20 to 30 minutes on the train. Is that because you were just shut off from everything and you just had the clarity? I guess it is. Yeah, just complete clarity. Mm. And your brain responds. My brain was healthy and relaxed and creative and it just came out and I was done. Yeah. <laughs> I went back to my crossword puzzles. Um, so yeah, I, I, I have not decreased my, my output because the, the practices that I'm following just lead me to be super, super 
productive and focused and happy and unstressed. Even my doctor commented on how my cortisol levels have dropped. Hmm. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. It's amazing, really. Yeah. And that's what we sort of all deep down want. And I certainly am sitting here going, yeah, that's what I want, you know, to, to be able to do the work because I love, I love what I do. I love work. Yeah. But to also be able to sit there for two hours on an afternoon and go, you know what, I'm going to sit here for two hours and just enjoy the company of my kids. You totally can. You know? You can do well. And you know what? Previous generations did. There's one part in the book where I, I described how I came home this one evening from working and I was completely and utterly exhausted. And I flopped on the couch and I was like, there's no way I can cook a meal tonight. I know I love to cook. Hmm. I'm, I really enjoy it. But I was like, I'm too tired. And I happened to look into my kitchen and I started noticing all those things that saved me time over like my grandmother, my microwave, <laughs> my, my ninja oven, my blenders, my robot vacuum, all of the things in my house. And I, I literally went around around my house with a notebook and added up the time that I saved over my grandmother. And it was like 20 to 30 hours a week. Hmm. And yet she had barbecues with her neighbors and, and baked for the PTA every single week and belonged to the Rotary Club and a bowling league. And I mean, she did so much just stuff. She hmm. collected stamps and pressed flowers and and I had to really think to myself and say, why the heck am I busier than my grandmother? Why? I totally have time to press flowers if that's what I want to do. <laughs> I have the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. So you're, um, you've got some, some mindfulness or meditation practices there. Is it a mindfulness kind of meditation you do? I'm a Buddhist. So yeah. I practice Lojong meditation, which is focused on compassion. How does that work? Um, well, Lejong is based on the idea that in order to have compassion for the world, you first have to have compassion for yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's difficult, actually, for people to learn to focus on feeling compassionate to yourself. Um, but yeah, you do a loving kindness meditation. Right. I've got a book on the shelf here about that. What, um, no, I don't think I've read it yet. Um, what, <laughs> how, how does that practice look like? Is it 15 minutes where you're sitting there? Eyes shut, cross-legged, thinking about sometimes your good things or what? Sometimes it's it's fifteen to twenty minutes sitting there and and being quiet. Sometimes I meditate while I'm walking. Um, sometimes it's a, a, a meditation right before I go to bed to to help me sort of decompress and sleep better. Hmm. Um, I mean, I I just believe meditation can be fit into any part of your life. Yeah. It doesn't have to be just sitting on a cushion and and saying om. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, gotcha. And what are your like when you shut down at night? Is there a particular set of things you do or don't do prior to going to sleep? Well, I don't look at screens uh, right before I go to sleep. How long before? Um, um, about an hour. Yeah. Okay. For the most part, I'll watch my TV, but that's about as close. I won't look at my smartphone or my laptop or tablet. Mm. Um, I try to. I, I put a little lavender on my pillow. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I will, I will, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll write down all the tasks that I still need to do because it helps me to unload it right. and get it off of my mind. So my mind isn't working on like it. a form of journaling then is it or sort of, except it's just a quick, here's the things I still need to get done. Yeah. Um, and it just, it just relieves my mind. So I'm not lying in bed worrying about it. Okay. What is the, what is the one biggest productivity hack? And I don't like to use that word necessarily, but one of the biggest productivity hacks that you have or maybe mentioned in the book that you think would be most useful to people. Um, the, the main thing is that when you take a break, take a real break, you know, the, the solutions to these problems that you and I've been talking about are so simple Mm. and completely inexpensive. So for example, if you are stuck and you are, um, can't make progress or you, or you keep screwing stuff up or you're frustrated with what you're doing, get up, leave your cell phone at home. It's okay. You'll survive. The iPhone came out in 2007. We lived for a really long time without them. (laughs) and go outside and look at a tree because our bodies and our (laughs) brains are honestly evolutionarily and biologically primed to respond positively to the view of nature. Like it's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it sounds it does it sounds almost ridiculous doesn't it but yeah it, no, absolutely appreciate what you're saying and um you know i just think about taking a break going out to the kitchen getting a, a cup of tea or a coffee or something like that and typically what i would do i think is probably walk that way but i'd be on the phone looking at what text messages have come in you know blah 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 yeah and rather than just yep. walking there without anything and just walking and enjoying that process. And I had a friend that stayed with me recently and she used to sit there in the morning sipping a tea in the kitchen and just looking at nothing. And it just frustrated the heck out of me. But I also loved it because I thought, wow, that's just, you know, imagine if I could do that. And I can do it, but I just never do. Um, yeah. And it was just five minutes and she goes, I just like this five minutes where I can just think and, you know, um, be here. So it's, um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, you can take the five minutes. And if that's where you need to start, if it, five minutes is, is the most you can get, take the five minutes. Mm. It's just being conscious and aware of it, isn't it? Like, you know, a lot of people recently, the great examples are when you're waiting in line, what are most people doing? They're on their phones. People going for exercising. I saw this person the other day and just because it's something that I'm aware of, you know, walking along, headphones in, looking down the phone. So she's probably got a podcast, a book or a song playing looking at Facebook or text messages um, or some emails or something and walking, you know, there's just yeah, so much going stuff. on. Let me tell you how dumb I was. I would <laughs> get stressed out at home and I had this library of nature sounds that I'd listen to, right? I would re- get really stressed and I'm like, I'm going to take a break. And I would just sit there and maybe read or something while I was listening to these nature sounds to calm me. And then I'd take my dog for the walk literally in the woods because I live across the street from a large uh, park hmm. and I would take her in the woods and I would put headphones on <laughs> and listen to a podcast. Huh. Now think how stupid that is. <laughs> yeah, well, I do that. I get it. It's, yeah. Because you're, so, you're thinking you're benefiting yourself, but yeah, exactly. Not. I'm getting, I'm, I'm stealing time back cause I'm doing a, two things at once, hmm. but you're not. Instead you're doing two things horribly at the same time, which means you're not really accomplishing either of them. So you've lost time. Yeah, well, that's an interesting part. But I mean, as a creative yourself, how do you? Because obviously, it's, it's about consuming material and doing your research and reading and, and all that sort of stuff. How do you? How do you organize that into your schedule these days? I mean, if I'm uh, have to do research, then I'll just say, okay, I want to get like thirty minutes of reading done every day. Yeah. And if it doesn't happen, I'm not going to beat myself up about it if there's other stuff going on. Yesterday, you know, one of the things I've been doing during the pandemic is working in my garden. So yesterday, I planted over 50 plants. Wow. <laughs> I was freaking a big gun. <laughs> so I did not get any reading done. And yeah. I'm okay with that. Hmm. <laughs> so that's, you know, this is part of having the compassion for yourself. It's also about having flexibility that... You know, of course, it's ridiculous that if you're doing all that planting that you don't also get the reading done. Hmm. But that's what we do to ourselves all the time is like, oh, I didn't get my reading done. I'm going to take this during dinner. Yeah, I'm going to also read. No, 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 (laughs) no. You got to have some flexibility there. How How do you become more compassionate about that? Because, I mean, is it just a matter of saying, you know what? Yes, that's something that I like to do and it's important, but it's not going to affect me. Like, is that the sort of mental? Yeah, the main thing is that you have to get over the fear. So what's happening right now is everyone is so burnt out. They're so dopamine addicted that basically people are running around and being controlled by their amygdalas. That's the oldest evolutionary part of your brain. brain. It's the fight or flight brain, right? Hmm. So we're basically making decisions not from the smartest, most rational part of our brains all day. We're running around being controlled by fight or flight. So the first thing that has to happen is that you have to address the fear. This fear that keeps you on that treadmill, Uh running and running and going nowhere. This fear that if you don't get that half hour of um, reading in, you're going to fall behind. And the way that you address that is by... um, not doing it and realizing that you're okay. Yeah. It's like people ask me all the time if I get nervous as a public speaker and I say I don't. <laughs> and it's not because I'm so great at public speaking, it's because I've been doing it so long that every mistake that's going to happen has probably happened hmm. and I lived. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
and I was fine. Yeah. And it's the same, same thing with this fear over busyness. Yeah. You have to let yourself be not busy and then wake up the next morning and go, oh, hey, I'm still every, alive. Everything's okay. It's fine. Yeah. I like it. We might wrap it up there, man. It's been a really cool conversation. Um, I'm going to stick the book link in, in the show notes. You've got a couple of books, don't you? I do. The first one was called We Need to Talk About Better Conversations. Better Conversations. Uh, mate, fantastic conversation. Very timely. Um, I, I definitely appreciate it. It's put a lot of reminders in my heads and, and more ideas on how I can slow down a bit more and, and you know focus on the things that are important in my life as well and be more productive in the process, which I appreciate. Um, how can people best uh, reach out to you and, and learn more about you? Yeah, the easiest thing is just to go to the website, celesteheadley.com. I try to keep that updated. Everything's there. I'll stick the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on, Celeste. Guys out there listening, thank you for listening. And until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon